Hey everyone, welcome to the Friendly Podcast. I'm Kevin, I'm a manager and producer here at Friendly. Friendly is a design studio which started in England and now our team stretches across the world in six different countries. If you want to find out more about Friendly, you can check us out at friendly.studio. The sponsor of today's episode is .grid.co, providers of premium dotted notebooks, desk pads, and desk accessories. Use code FRIENDLYSTUDIO for 10% off everything in their store. So today on the Friendly Podcast, we have Peter Clark. So Peter, welcome to the Friendly Podcast. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. I've had the um, opportunity to get to know Peter over the last couple months. And uh, yeah, he's known as PLC in Slack. And our company is very fond of PLC. Uh, we think he's a real cool dude. So anyways, yeah, just uh, really honored to have you have you on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, excited to be here. And I don't like to brag, but I'm also PLC on Twitter and Instagram. I have, I'm very proud of my three initial handles across the internet. Cool. Um, so I know a little bit about you, but for the rest of the world who maybe doesn't know as much about you, or maybe they do, but I thought maybe we could just kind of like start by... Um, going back to your, your time in England and kind of just wondered how you kind of got started on this tech journey that you've been on for the last probably quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I went to school in England. That's where I'm from. Grew up in the east of England, just outside of Cambridge and studied, kind of studied computer science at university with kind of a mix of kind of product design or design stuff as well and when i was a kid was always fascinated by really apple computers you know this was back in the the 90s and stuff when you know you had colorful ibooks and those kinds of things and just i've always felt like you know the products that i use has always had a profound impact on you know my mental state and my enjoyment and it's you know one of my passions is finding good products to use and, and so it kind of segued really nicely into like, boy, wouldn't it be cool to, to make a product that, you know, you can be really proud of and that other people can really love. So that's kind of led me into computer science and, and the design side of things. And when I graduated school, this was in 2005 or so when startups were not super common and my, some friends and I just decided that, hey, let's just build things ourselves. And we really just built random products, just trying to figure out what's a, a good startup and did that for a few years in Cambridge. Had absolutely no idea what we were doing, but we we're just building random things. And then the iPhone came out and then the app store launched and we started building apps like that. And that's kind of what was really the genesis of figuring out startup stuff. Um, and we kind of went from there. Um, and then a few years later of just being kind of drunken 21 year old idiots building iPhone apps with very marginal success, honestly, we we um, stumbled upon a guy called Paul Graham, who at the time was just founding Y Combinator, had done a lot of essays that as 21-year-old people that were like, wouldn't it be cool to make something really cool? His essays were very um, foundational, I think, in terms of us thinking about, oh, there are, there are other people in the world that really want to build this stuff. So we ended up applying for Y Combinator, and that's kind of the reason why I moved to America back in 2010. My friends and I, we moved to America to go through Y Combinator, and then I've been been in America ever since. Very, very cool. Now, I am from Canada myself, 
um, but I have lived in America and my wife is English and we lived there for about a year and a half and um, my wife found it extremely different living in America and I wondered if you as an Englishman found it difficult to kind of you know transition there just the culture in America it's a lot different than it is in the UK was that a big adjustment for you? I would say the big difference I've always found is that the American culture is very optimistic and English culture is a lot more pessimistic you know I think you know I feel like when you talk about when I was growing up and talking about startups and stuff, a lot of people would say in England, oh, well, don't go bankrupt. Wouldn't that be bad? Those kinds of things. And in America, obviously, there's a lot more optimism. I think it's, and I think as part of that, you know, I think Americans come across, especially in England, as a little bit like naive almost. They always come across as kind of like hopelessly optimistic. And I mostly agree with that. And I find it kind of endearing. But that's the big difference I find is that optimism and, and excitement for things that you don't really find as much in England, in my opinion. I think, I mean, I don't know exactly how to say this, but it kind of does feel like there's not as much shame in America around going bankrupt as there might be here in England, which I like. Yeah, I certainly think failure as a, I mean, I feel like Americans love to go bankrupt generally, but I think <laughs> I feel like failure is, failure in America is a lot more accepted especially obviously in the tech scene and the startup scene failure is just a part of that process but i feel like generally with that optimism there's also a kind of a, oh it's okay what, what are you going to do next if it doesn't work out which i feel like you wouldn't get as much in england even today you wouldn't get as much yeah yeah sure so you moved from cambridge and i'm assuming you moved to somewhere in california is that right i moved to um yeah i moved to san francisco i didn't have a lot of frame of reference for what America would be like. I, I moved to California and my sole frame of reference was really honestly uh, the OC. And um, I kind of, to be honest, thought San Francisco was like the OC where it would be beaches and sunshine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And was was amazed to find that the weather is arguably worse than the east of England. It's gray and raining a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to Alcatraz? I have. I've done most of the tourist things at this point. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been as well, and I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, it's the only problem I have with it is once you're there, you can't easily leave, obviously, uh, for, which is funny for many reasons. But, you know, I was I was I walked around it and was like, wow, this is really cool. The history is really cool. And then after a few hours, I was like, okay, I'd like to go get a beer now. And, <laughs> but I was, I was kind of trapped for half an hour waiting for a ferry, and I was like, this is somewhat ironic. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's a... San Francisco in general is an awesome city. Really, really awesome. Cool. So how long did you spend in San Francisco before moving? I spent almost 10 years. I moved there in 2010. And then I, yeah, then I lived in Soma for about six months. And then I lived in the Mission for nine, nine years. And then in 2021, I moved to Seattle and moved mostly just out of curiosity to try and live somewhere else. I didn't really feel like San Francisco was the best representation of the entire United States. So I was excited to try and broaden my horizons and live in different places. Yeah. What's what's the weather like in Seattle compared to uh, San Francisco? Is it quite similar? 
I would say I expected Seattle to be much more gray and more equivalent to like the UK. And Seattle it surprised me by being blazingly hot for four or five months. So four or five months of the year, it's 70, 80 degrees. It's much, much, much hotter. My frail British body is really struggling to cope with this heat for so long. Yeah. Is there a pretty big tech scene in Seattle at the moment? It's much larger than people may think. Yeah. There's obviously Amazon and Microsoft and Outreach and a whole bunch of very large companies. Um, but I've been surprised by how many startups and venture capitalists there are in Seattle as well. My wife is um, currently watching like episode after episode of Grey's Anatomy. Don't know if you've ever seen that show, but it's supposed to be uh, based in Seattle. So no, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, if if anyone out there is like looking for a show to binge, there's like 17 seasons, so it's um, it's pretty binge worthy. Anyways, yeah, it's, that's a, it's 17 a, seasons is a that's a commitment. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but any anyways, yeah, it's it's supposed to be based in Seattle, so they're always like showing like all these sort of like scenic shots of like Seattle, and it looks pretty pretty epic, pretty cool. Okay. Cool. So you're currently now in Seattle and you're really enjoying it. Yep. Great city. Cool. Um, can you see yourself like staying there? Does any part of you want to come back to the UK at all? I think Pacific Northwest and Seattle is in my probably the nicest place in America to live. It would be hard, you know, if you look at America, the East Coast gets super bizarre weather, so you can't live anywhere on the east coast the middle of america has very little going on so then you're left with the west coast and you know la really bad traffic san diego has much too hotter weather 365 days of the year so time moves in a really weird way san francisco already lived there so seattle is really the only place to live that's my there you go i've just over over you know broadly stereotyped the entire of america so i think seattle is the only place that i will live in america and i would I would consider moving back to England. It's it feels like it feels like it would be hard to do a startup in yeah. in London. Um, I miss some parts of England terribly, and but the other side is you know I've lived in America for so long now it's almost hard to remember what it's like having a job and stuff in in the UK. So I, I don't really know what I miss, but you know I, I miss the culture of England a lot. You know, when it was the Euro tournament, as an example, you know, I really missed the the UK national stuff like that. And um, so it would be kind of nice. It would be nice to eventually move back, but I don't think it'll be anytime soon. A question I was wondering is, what do you miss most about living in the UK? And what do you sort of like least about living in America? Pretty glad you asked. I can talk about my two passions. Number one, I miss the most British food. I think British food gets uh, gets beaten up very unfairly. I would say Cornish pasties, delicious. Sausage rolls, <laughs> yeah. delicious. Savory savory pies, delicious. Fish and chips, very delicious. And I would say, you know, British Indian food, also very delicious. Like it's unfathomable to me that people in America likes to complain about British food when those five foods are just, I would say, some of the best food you'll ever have. And also, obviously, I, how could I forget? Roast dinners. Not even a thing in America. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I tried to tell my wife that I could do a roast beef. And because I've been taught how to do it in a crock pot. 
And um, so she was uh, she was quite excited. But then when she realized, like, I threw like all the potatoes and everything in the crock pot all at once, she's like, "There's no roast potatoes." I was like, "No." It's like, "Well, they're all in there." She's like, "No, no." She's like, "This is not a roast. You have to have roasties." And I didn't know until I came yep. to England that like roast potatoes are amazing. And yeah, you're right. The, the English roast is something something very special. As, and like parsnips, it's it's there's all these delicious foods that are so easy to cook that America just seems to completely ignore. And roast potatoes are objectively very good. It isn't some weird, you know, ooh, mashed peas. No one likes those really. Like roast potatoes, everybody that has them agrees that they're delicious. Uh, and then in terms of in terms of what I dislike the most about America, I would say IPA beer. American beer is just the worst thing in the world. It's <laughs> dreadful. Amer- American American beer is like a, a bad joke that has gone on for many years too long. Like I don't know why anyone would want to drink this incredibly hoppy beer that just actually gives me a stomachache. It's yeah. it's truly foul. And what's amazing to me is if you drink Coors or Bud Light, those beers are perfectly reasonable. But for some reason, America thinks that they're complete jokes. But uh, yeah, I. It blows my mind when I go to a, when I go to an American bar, which always have far too many TVs, and the person's like, "Don't worry, we have twenty-seven IPAs on tap." <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Do you have any that I can drink more than a pint and a half of without either being hammered or just really full? Yeah. What is your kind of beer of choice in America? R- Rainier beer in Seattle is very delicious. PBR very delicious. Any Kolsch or light beer, just very delicious. I really take a very British attitude of, I want a beer where I can drink at least three pints of it and not be incredibly drunk or incredibly full. So the lighter, the better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, have you tried Blue Moon at all? That's good. Yeah. It's like a wheat beer, but that was one of the first beers that I ever had that I actually really enjoyed. When I moved to America, I actually thought that I had something wrong with me when I was drinking all these beers and they were so hoppy and my friends were like do you like this beer and I was like it, I was like it tastes off is there something and I was trying to explain this hoppy this hoppy taste and I was like it has this really weird kick in the back of my throat it tastes really like bad and it I was thinking like is this what being a celiac is like am I allergic <laughs> to something and it took so long to realize oh no this is actually how the beers are meant to taste I'm totally with you definitely not an IPA fan for sure Nobody is. It's like some part of American psyche where they have tricked themselves into thinking that this is a nice kind of beer. <laughs> um, so your current company, Journey, I wondered if you could just tell us about like, some of the steps that kind of led up to you launching that company. So yeah, my, when I moved to America 10 years ago, the first product I worked on was an was at the time what we called video voicemail was a way of recording video messages and sending them to other people and the exciting thing about that was it was a very high bandwidth emotional way of communicating and that product didn't really work out but we found a feature within that product that was working really well which was our email marketing and triggering emails based on actions so my second company was around marketing automation allowing people to create triggered email sequences and that company ended up getting acquired by a B2B company called AdRoll, where I worked on you know, all kinds of marketing programs and growth. And across all of these companies, I've just always felt like, hey, storytelling is a very interesting art form. And it's quite hard to do on the internet. You, know, you can either be an amazing designer and create a really beautiful landing page, 
or you can be a very talented salesperson and try and convince people to have an actual phone call with you. And aside from those two things, it's quite hard to convey a complex story. So, you know, I, I got really excited about this idea of creating a piece of software that allows people to tell very complex stories in a way that's very engaging for recipients. Um, and that's, that's really journey, you know, it's, uh, I think of it as if you've seen explainer videos, you know, very highly produced videos where they explain complex products or com complex concepts. What if you could take that a step further and make a, a medium where people can convey really complex things in a way where the recipient can kind of absorb them in a, in a very tangible and tactile way. Who would you say the product is aimed at? Is it aimed at the tech savvy sort of business user? Is it aimed at sort of my mom, your mom, or who's the ideal sort of user for you guys? Right now, we think if we can help people that, that sell software, if we can help them sell software better, you know, and we can make it so that you can buy a 30,000 pound piece of software far easier. I think that that's really an interesting behavior that we've involved and helped. So right now we're really focused on helping people buy and sell software. And we kind of think if we can nail that, then that will will be well on the way to fixing a whole bunch of other things. You know, recruiting, marketing is generally fundraising. There's all these other times when you want to tell a really good story that will kind of be brought along if we can help people sell software. So most of our early users right now are really people that work for software companies that are trying to, you know, convince other people to use their software. So no pun intended, what's the journey been like? As a company, you know, from the point that you had the idea that you wanted to start a company to kind of raising money and where you're at now? Um, well, we took the approach that, you know, there's many different approaches, I think, to building startups. And my personal opinion is you really just have to plant a flag in the sand and build around that flag and make that flag be sufficiently robust that people understand what it is. So we went into Journey knowing that we wanted this to be a, you know, a long and big complex thing. You know, we didn't think that we could build an MVP that would do itself justice in three months or whatever else. So we took the somewhat unusual approach, I think, of raising, you know, a reasonable amount of money, like a few million dollars. Um, basically, before we started the company, we started really by just saying, hey, if we can build a tool that helps people tell stories on the internet, that's a huge market. There's all sorts of different use cases there. So we raised some money just on that vision. And then we've really been heads down for the last six months building our first iteration of this product. And and that's kind of how we're approaching it. I think um, my, my personal opinion is people can really want to figure out a process to building a, a product. And the reality is, is that you just have to have, you know, a bunch of conviction and a bunch of luck and a bunch of iterations and hopefully those three things kind of fall in together in the right place. And the, the best thing you can do is just talk to users and kind of iterate as quickly as possible. For those who are interested in startups, I thought I'd ask, uh, what stage are you at with funding? Are you at pre-seed? Are you at seed? Or have you raised your Series A? Um, yeah, I'd say we're at the, the pre-seed stage. You know, all the fundraising stuff is pretty pretty interesting right now. But you know, we've we've raised we raised yeah we raised a few million dollars. And that's, and then we went through Y Combinator as well. I we went through a second time, um, and we're basically we have we have about a hundred active users using the product and giving us feedback each day. And we're very very heads down 
iterating on that and trying to manifest this vision of a storytelling platform. We're not desperate or worried about new users right now. We're really just solely focused on helping the existing users that are using the product um, find success. Yeah. And a huge part of that is working with Friendly, figuring out the design and make, making sure it's it really resonates. Yeah, we've been working with you guys for a couple of months and yeah, we love your company. Uh, yeah, it's just such such a pleasure to work with you guys. And I wondered if I could kind of put you on the spot and just ask you kind of what it's been like working with Friendly. We were very reluctant, I think, to hire... Well, if you take a step back for Journey... The design was a really critical component, maybe the most critical component of this company. And we were in this awkward position where, you know, we didn't have a designer on the founding team. So we really wanted to over-index and over-invest in, in design. So the two paths for that is either hire a designer or work with a, you know, a firm like Friendly. And I think that the exciting thing for us with Friendly was that we were getting people like, you know, Jordan and Jack, who are very senior people who've seen a lot of startups, clearly done a lot of this stuff before. And I think that we were able to de-risk a lot of the design by by working in this kind of collaborative fashion. Whereas I think if we'd hired someone full-time that we didn't know, it would have been, you know, when you hire a full-time designer, especially the first designer, it just creates a huge amount of overhead. If, you know, some, some of the time you can go down a path and not realize it's the wrong path until you're many weeks into that build so you know and then if the candidate doesn't work out you're in you know you very rapidly burn many months of cycles so friendly has proven to be really efficient because you know the company has clearly seen a lot of startups and design iterations and we're able to work with people and bring in additional resources as we need them so it's working out really well for us it's uh i would say it's very similar to having a chief design officer where we feel like we having we have very senior people involved awesome Awesome. Um, one question that I always love to ask, um, because I know that you have a family, and I wonder what it's been like to kind of like juggle family life along with being in a startup. Is that difficult? I would say you just have to be able to spend, you know, allocate your time appropriately. I feel like if you were trying to you know, have dinner and work and do things at the same time, it gets really hard and really stressful really quickly. But I've always kind of believed that you should just work when you're in the mood to work or, you know, spend the time to work when you really feel like you can be productive. And when you don't feel like you can be productive and you want to do something else, you know, spend the time on that. And I honestly think COVID, as terrible as it's been, working remote has made work-life balance in some ways much easier, I think, because you are able to, you know, work when you need to work and be a step away when you don't feel like you can work anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the last questions I want to ask you, Peter, is um, where can people find, you know, both you personally and your company online so we can sort of like, you know, follow follow what's going on? Yeah, um, our URL, our site is journey.io. Um, we, you can, go to, you can go to the homepage. We try and dog food our product really extensively. So you'll almost immediately see a, a demo of our product and we believe that the intellectually honest way to build and sell a product like this is to really use it ourselves. And if we can't do our own story justice, we probably won't have to do a, a user's story justice. So, you know, you can see and experience the product for yourself. And then me personally, I'm at PLC on Twitter and Instagram and wherever else. I wouldn't say I'm a huge social media user, but I'm, I'm on those sites. Well, Peter, thank you so much 
for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on the podcast. Cool. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Friendly Podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, which we really hope that you are, please stay tuned because we've got lots more episodes to come in the future. Thanks, everyone.